Tonight, a violent altercation on a transit bus, all because a passenger was asked to wear a face mask. Plus... We can anticipate a similar price tag um, for the inaction here in Strathcona Park. The half-million-dollar bill to clean up a former homeless camp. Why critics say it's money wasted. And the election campaign gets personal with new attack ads. Now the question, what do you believe? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Face masks are increasingly becoming the norm and in many public and private spaces mandatory. For the most part, most people are compliant. But an altercation on board a transit bus this weekend shows us it only takes a moment for things to go sideways. Grace Key has more on the incident that was all caught on camera. Two passengers are caught on camera in an all-out brawl while on a bus in Surrey. And it was all over one person not wearing a mask. It happened around 9.30 Saturday morning in the area of 96th Avenue and 120th Street. A passenger offered a man a mask when he noticed the person get on board without one. The suspect declined and the passenger asked if he was medically exempt. That's when things got heated with the suspect allegedly punching the passenger in the head. TransLink's mandatory mask policy came into effect on August 24th. Passengers say most people do wear masks and those who don't get looks from other passengers. Just like a little side eye, like people notice, but they don't say anything. Most people kind of give you, kind of give you a little bit of a look. Uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, staring or passive aggressiveness for sure. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, people are pretty pretty good about it. TransLink asks customers to contact Transit Security or use silent alarms on board vehicles if they don't feel safe. Adding, we also ask customers not to attempt to enforce TransLink's mandatory mask policy. Spot checks show about 95% of customers are complying with the policy and are wearing masks on board transit vehicles. There are several exemptions to this policy and not all medical conditions are visible. A piece of from another country that has no right here. A week ago, a man shouted racial slurs at a Calgary liquor store clerk who was behind a plexiglass barrier but not wearing a mask. Calgary police are now looking into the incident. As for the Surrey incident, the victim suffered a cut above his eye and the suspect left the area when the fight was over. Police are still investigating. Grace Key, Global News. A bizarre and disturbing discovery in Stanley Park this morning that led to a hazmat call. The Vancouver Fire Department closed off the roads leading to the Second Beach Playground just after 8 o'clock this morning after trace amounts of mercury were found inside the public washroom. Firefighters meticulously cleaned up the small amounts on the floor, making sure none of it ended up going down the drains. Park rangers are assisting with the investigation. The park rangers, when opening up the washroom, found some small trace amounts of uh, mercury. So they called in the fire department. We have no idea where the mercury came from. 
A 38-year-old Vancouver man has died after crashing his high-end vehicle in West Vancouver overnight. Emergency crews were called to Highway 1 near 21st Street just after 12.30. The driver of the 2019 McLaren died of his injuries at the scene. Police say speed and road conditions may have been factors in the crash. Officers have spoken with several witnesses but are looking to speak with anyone who may have dash cam footage of the collision. After 18 months as a homeless encampment rife with drugs and crime, Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park is almost ready to reopen. But the restoration didn't come cheap. And as Kristen Robinson reports, there are concerns inaction on another growing tent city will cost taxpayers even more. Still fenced in, but soon to be unlocked, Oppenheimer Park will require a phased reopening due to the extent of repairs to its grass, playground, and historical and cultural elements. Buried in the dirt, a big bill for taxpayers. Certainly this is money that could be better spent. The restoration alone cost an estimated $450,000, and that figure doesn't include damage to the field house washrooms. This is going to be a bit of a blow, and certainly we can anticipate a similar price tag um, for the inaction here in Strathcona Park. A growing tent city at Strathcona on track to become another money pit when the city is already struggling to tighten its belt. Hopes of partnering with the province on a solution on hold until after the BC election. I think we're recognizing that the cost of inaction is just too much. The city now attempting to tackle homelessness on its own, with council set to receive a staff report on options early next month. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says throwing cash at encampments is not the answer. It's misguided um, in terms of having empathy for people that are without homes. It's far better to put those resources towards getting people indoors. Close to 2,000 Strathcona residents, including Jamie McLaren, threatening to withhold some or all of their property taxes due Wednesday from the city. It's disappointing for sure, especially in the case of Strathcona Park. I think it was entirely avoidable as a situation, and that's money that could have been provided um, in the, in the form of housing, temporary housing, rather than cleaning up parks. The movement Strathcona stands for Safe Homes for All, planning a protest Tuesday. An unmanaged encampment of 400 people, they say, is not safe for anyone. The longer this goes on, the more it's going to cost us. Meantime, the eastern edge of Oppenheimer expected to be the first to return. The park board says staff are in the final phases of remediation to ensure access is available to residents of the downtown east side who rely on the park for community use. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A high-risk sex offender who we told you about last night is back behind bars on Vancouver Island thanks to the actions of a taxi driver. Victoria Police put out a warning Friday that Scott Jones was unlawfully at large after failing to report to his parole officer. The 56-year-old was sentenced to five years in prison for rape, gross indecency, and the attempted rape of three girls. Jones was designated a dangerous offender after three more attacks, including the knife-point assault, sexual assault of a nine-year-old girl. This morning, officers responded to a Langford Superstore when taxi driver Mohammed Rashid called for help. He called us saying that he had picked up a fare, a male who was later identified by police as Scott Jones, uh, that he had driven this individual to Superstore, that he was given money by Mr. Jones and asked to go and buy clothing. Uh, Mr. Jones told Mr. Rashid that he could not actually go into the store himself because he knew that police were looking for him. 
And so Mr. Rashid left him in the taxi cab, went into a superstore and immediately called police. Mr. Jones was completely uncooperative and not responding to me at all. I gave him multiple directions, uh, identified myself as a police officer, gave him very clear direction to open the door. Um, he knew I was there. He looked at me and continued on fiddling with the lighter and he was burning the plastic and then burning the interior upholstery of the vehicle. Constable Massey arrested Jones by smashing the window of the cab. In addition to being unlawfully at large, Jones faces a charge of mischief for damage to the cab. West Shore RCMP credited the actions of the cab driver. We want to give him a very big thank you. Uh, without him and without the quick actions of Constable Massey, there's, there's no way that we would be able to get this dangerous offender back into custody. Coquitlam RCP is asking for help to find a patient who is unlawfully at large. Genghis Abaddon hasn't been seen since Tuesday when he failed to return to the Nicola Lodge long-term care facility in Coquitlam. He's described as white, 43 years old, and has a tattoo on his forehead and under his right eye. He was last seen wearing a top hat and a pinstripe jumpsuit. Police say he may present a risk to himself and the public. If you see him, do not approach, but instead call 911. Turning to Decision BC now, and two of the front-running parties are going on the offensive on the airwaves this weekend. The Liberals dropping an attack ad on Saturday, and the NDP is set to release theirs tomorrow, hoping to define Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson to voters before he can define himself. But will it work? Richard Zussman gives us a first look in this Global News exclusive. Andrew Wilkinson thinks you should be paying more. This is the Andrew Wilkinson the way the BC NDP want you to see him. You'll pay more so his wealthy friends can pay $3 billion less. This ad will be publicly released Monday. It highlights many of the issues the NDP have been highlighting itself during the first week of the campaign, primarily the accusation Liberals and Wilkinson are wealthy and well-connected. John Horgan not taking the bait when asked on Sunday while campaigning in Duncan about his chief opponent for the Premier's job. At the end of the day, it's up to people to make that decision, not me, about whether Mr. Wilkinson is well-known or not well-known, whether his ideas are good or bad. The early election call has given the public less time to meet the Liberal leader, making ads like this more effective in this political scientist's mind. It's a, clearly an attempt to paint um, Andrew Wilkinson uh, in a negative light before he gets a chance really to define himself before the electorate. While British Columbians are doing our part to get through the pandemic, the BC Liberals have also released an attack out of their own. They called an unnecessary pandemic election. Criticizing Horgan's early election call. The BC Greens are also looking at running more pointed campaign attacks than ever before, expected to be targeted more at issues than personalities. Parties attack opponents because it works. Mm -hmm. There's probably a couple of million years of evolutionary history behind that. We are, are primed to uh, watch for threats in the environment. No public event Sunday for Wilkinson, but on Saturday he was asked if he could use his credentials as a doctor to his advantage, especially during a pandemic. I think the ability to process medical information has never been more valuable than right now. And we've seen in the last six months this really tragic phenomenon on social media of the pseudo-experts and the misinformation. And with more attack ads on the way from both the NDP and the Liberals over the next 27 days, voters will have to decide themselves which of these messages do you believe. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. On the campaign trail today, NDP leader John Horgan visited Duncan alongside the party's candidate for Cowichan Valley, Rob Douglas. 
Health care is still taking center stage. Horgan saying if re-elected, his party will continue with plans to build a new hospital for the region. He also used the opportunity to once again take a swipe at the B.C. Liberals, claiming such health care projects will be at risk if they're elected. Green leader Sonia Furstenau was also in the Cowichan Valley this afternoon, introducing their candidate, Nanaimo North Cowichan's Chris Istash, a small business owner. She also denounced the NDP for politicizing the hospital project in the region, urging both Horgan and Wilkinson not to do so during the campaign. That was week one of the campaign. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now for a look at week, week two. Keith, when it comes to the leaders, the locations they campaign in, tell mm-hmm. us a lot. Exactly. And this was very evident in 2017. We always wondered, why is John Horgan constantly going to North Vancouver Lonsdale? Well, their tracking of internal polling showed that was a riding that was in play. And sure enough, Bowen Mop brought that home for, uh, for the NDP. It's interesting what happened this weekend. John Horgan went up to Terrace. He never even traveled north of Penticton in 2017. He went to the riding of Skeena, won by a liberal MLA, Ellis Ross, by less than 1,200 votes. Uh, interestingly enough as well, he went to Cowichan Valley today in Sonia Firstenau's backyard. That's a signal to Sonia Firstenau. They're not letting her go. They want to reclaim that seat uh, for the NDP. Andrew Wilkinson spent uh, yeah, last week in Maple Ridge on the same day as John Horgan. Interesting, because those two writings are clearly in play. Bob Deeth won by less than 400 votes in 2017 in Maple Ridge Mission. And tomorrow, uh, again, not through coincidence necessarily, John Horgan and Andrew Wilkinson are both going to be in Richmond for different reasons, of course. But the NDP thinks they can win at least one seat there, notably Jazz Johal won by less than 200 votes. But two Liberal incumbents are not running for re-election. That removes the incumbent advantage. Uh, Andrew Wilkinson going there to make a major announcement, I'm told, of an economic tax policy. Uh, expect some tax cuts to be announced by Andrew Wilkinson tomorrow because the Liberals, I think, will mark the, the beginning of the formal campaign for the B.C. Liberals. The last week is just sort of trying out some lines and things. It really begins for real and in earnest starting tomorrow. All right, and I will see you tomorrow at 3 on B.C. 1 for the uh, COVID update. All right, thanks, Keith. Yeah. The First Nations Health Authority says the COVID-19 positivity rate among Indigenous people in B.C. is now at 2.56 percent. That's slightly higher than the general population. The FNHA reports the rate has spiked in the last three weeks as some clusters see more community transmission. There is concern as the Indigenous population has higher underlying health conditions than the rest of the population. Large families live together, multi-generations. There may be issues with sufficient housing. Um, There may be, um, and we've seen this where there's been social events or tragically after a funeral um, where groups of people have gathered in a traditional way uh, to live out the protocols that they've done for thousands of years. But unfortunately, in the context of covid Um, that's become quite challenging. BC's restaurant, bar and nightclub industry is looking for any kind of break to stay in business ever since the pandemic hit. The major hurdle has been the order closing nightclubs and ending liquor service after 10 p.m. But there are questions if one business in Kelowna is flouting those rules. Jules Knox has more. Despite the pandemic, the lights of Kelowna's liquid zoo still on. A bouncer at the door on Friday night saying that guests can order drinks for last call at 10 o'clock and keep drinking until 2 a.m., prompting questions within the broader community. I'm shocked that they're actually allowed to even do that. I didn't even know that was, like, allowed. Unfair, totally unfair. It almost makes you not want to go there. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry has ordered businesses to stop operating as nightclubs. Some nightclubs have taken this to heart earlier on when they had outbreaks and they have pivoted their business model to be more like a, a restaurant and those are able to stay open. The Liquid Zoo says it isn't operating as a nightclub and offers a full food menu which means it can remain open until 2 a.m. It also says it's had scrutiny from RCMP, Interior Health and bylaw officers and that it isn't doing anything illegal. Nobody from the business was available for an on-camera interview on Sunday, but it did say that it allows guests to purchase two drinks at last call and sip them until 2 a.m. Although the public health order does say that liquor must not be consumed on premises by owners, operators or staff after 11 p.m., it doesn't explicitly say that guests must finish their drinks before then. Interior Health says its public health teams will be investigating the situation. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. White Rock's iconic White Rock is sporting a new message this weekend. The famous White Rock or boulder on the beach was recently defaced. Someone sprayed it with black paint and the social justice slogan Black Lives Matter. White Rock RCMP are investigating but say it's up to the city to decide what to do about it. The rock is often vandalized with graffiti. This is the first BLM statement. So far, reaction is mixed. I'm a firm believer in, in Black Lives Matter, and but I've uh, also grown up in White Rock, Surrey area yeah. for many years. Yeah. This to me is uh, <laughs> almost sacrilegious. I feel that white privilege is prevalent in this in this community, and I feel this gives us a wonderful opportunity to talk, talk to our children yeah. about such an important issue about diversity and acceptance and supporting it. So we love it. An open letter to John Horgan will be released tomorrow, citing instability concerns for the Site C Dam project. It calls on the next provincial government to halt construction on the project, pending a review by outside engineers. As Paul Johnson reports, among those asking for a stop work order is the former CEO of BC Hydro. Decide for yourself about Mark Ellison's qualifications to weigh in on the debate over BC's troubled Site C Dam project. I've been either the chairman or the chief executive officer of Ontario Hydro, Manitoba Hydro, and BC Hydro. Ellison is alarmed by the recent admission by BC Hydro that it's known for some time about instability in the ground under the site. They have publicly indicated that, uh, that uh, they don't know how to fix it, nor do they know what the cost is. A new letter to John Horgan calling for suspension of work has been signed by a group that includes senior business and government leaders, a former federal cabinet minister, a former CEO of ICBC, two former MLAs and others. What has to take place is an immediate halt to the construction because it's irresponsible to continue uh, this uh, project uh, when we don't know uh, what the nature of the foundation uh, stability problems are uh, and the threat to public safety. The letter calls for work to be halted prior to diversion of the Peace River, which could be imminent, and for an independent panel of engineers to then review the project. Global News reached out to both the NDP and BC Liberal campaigns for comment. Neither responded, but BC Green Party leader Sonia Furstenow did. Absolutely. The NDP have to stop digging uh, and recognize that you can't 
wish that this was different. You have to listen to the engineers and the experts. Unlike many mega projects that end up haunting politicians, responsibility for Site C is owned by both of BC's leading parties. The BC Liberals, who first greenlighted it, and Horgan's NDP government that allowed it to continue. Ellison says they were all warned. When Premier Campbell and Premier uh, Clark uh, were pushing it, I, I thought this was a disaster. Most of the expenditures now have taken place under Premier Horgan's responsibility, and it's his folly. Paul Johnson, Global News. When singing in groups was banned due to COVID-19, it meant choirs fell silent. Health authorities here and around the world sang that singing transmits droplets in the air. But a well-known Vancouver choir says it has found a safe way to bring the music back. Juno-nominated men's choir Corleone is once again holding rehearsals, but in a pandemic-friendly fashion. The 60-person singing squad is meeting in in person, but now in two groups of 30. They say they follow all the health and safety recommendations with the help of some innovative technology and protective equipment. And each member constantly self-assesses for symptoms. If one of the choir isn't feeling up to singing with the group in person, they can chime in over Zoom. All of my choir singers know that they can be at rehearsal in person if they're feeling good, but if they're feeling any symptoms whatsoever, we offer a Zoom aspect for them to be able to sit at home and watch. So even though they may be feeling a little bit of allergies, they stay home. We're pretty sure they don't have COVID, but they stay home. And it's that care for one another that I think is, uh, is keeping us well. The return of rehearsals means the, choir, the choir's online broadcasts are also returning. You can catch Corleone live on Facebook or YouTube every second Tuesday. But make no mistake, we are here to honor all those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. The province's annual tribute to fallen police officers looked very different this pandemic year. The 22nd BC Law Enforcement Memorial Service was held at the legislature in Victoria today, but without the usual march. Instead, a small group of officers gathered to pay their respects to the members who have lost their lives in the line of duty. The ceremony was broadcast online. 129 officers' names are inscribed in the Bastion Monument. Some breaking news tonight about U.S. President Donald Trump's tax returns. The New York Times has published an extensive report after obtaining tax return data they say spans two decades. According to the Times, Trump paid no federal income tax for 10 of the last 15 years, largely because he reported losing much more money than he made. According to NBC News, the president is disputing that report but refuses to answer questions or provide any further details. The world is approaching a disturbing new threshold in the COVID-19 pandemic. As of tonight, nearly one million people have died of the virus, and that number could double in the next year. As David Aiken reports, the Canadian government wants to participate in the global distribution of a vaccine. It was the dominant, if unsurprising, theme during the just-concluded Leaders' Week at the United Nations General Assembly in New York. How to confront the global spread of COVID-19 and how to develop and distribute a vaccine. Whoever finds the vaccine must share it. This is a global responsibility and it's a moral responsibility for a vaccine to be shared far and wide. Almost all of the leaders spoke to the near-empty UN General Assembly Hall by video conference. In his taped address, 
Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi vowed to ensure India's vaccine production and delivery capacity will be used to help all humanity in fighting this crisis. Canada's new ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray. Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Justin Trudeau. In his speech, Justin Trudeau said multilateral institutions like the UN have never been more important and that global cooperation on vaccine development is crucial. Let's use our shared power not just to get a vaccine, but to get it out to everyone. Those calls come just as the global death count from COVID-19 is about to hit one million and a warning the number of deaths could double before a vaccine is ready. If we look uh, at uh, losing a million people in nine months and then we just look at the realities of getting vaccine out there in the next nine months, it's a big task for everyone involved. The Canadian government has already spent millions to reserve millions of candidate vaccine doses. When it comes to that spending to fight the virus, my message to Canadians is we will do whatever it takes. Indeed, on Monday in the House of Commons, MPs will debate new legislation that calls for spending an additional $4.5 billion on vaccine research and development. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Yom Kippur begins at sundown, Mar Hatimatova. It's the holiest day of the Jewish calendar that usually sees life in Israel grind to a halt. That traditionally means businesses shut down, roads empty, and even radio and TV stations go silent. But this year, all non-essential businesses have already been forced to close due to the pandemic, and Israelis must stay within 1,000 meters of their homes. As if COVID-19 weren't bad enough, residents of Lake Jackson, Texas, are under a disaster declaration because of a brain-eating amoeba found in the city's water supply. Residents are rushing to stock up on bottled water. The CDC collected water samples after six-year-old Josiah McIntyre died on September 8th because of the organism. Preliminary results show three of 11 sites tested positive for Naglaria fowleri, including a public water park, the hose from the child's home and a fire hydrant. As of yet, the source of the infection has not been identified. If somebody does get the infection, it uh, does have a fairly high fatality rate, usually higher than 90 to 95 percent of patients. New research says you may have the answer to beat loneliness right in your own home. We're going to tell you about that right after Yvonne's forecast. And uh, boy, I hope the forecast you gave last night is still holding. Yes, it is. Uh, It's going to improve. We are going to see more sunshine today. We hung on to a fair bit of cloud cover and we're still tracking some rain, especially along the northern half of the province. I'll have more on the rainfall warning in just a moment. But for Metro Vancouver, here's a quick glance at what it looks like overlooking English Bay. We're sitting at 15 degrees, a light westerly wind at nine kilometers per hour. But we had some sunshine in the mix and a fantastic day today. This is the sunrise in Kelowna. So thank you so much, Sandra, for capturing that and sharing it with us. The sunrise in Abbotsford today. And this was taken by Phyllis. A great shot in Vernon early this morning, seeing some fog out of the water taken by Dean. And our numbers today, it has been on the cool side, but it is going to bump up. We've been advertising a ridge of high pressure that is going to build in, and we'll see some sunshine, and those temperatures are going to feel more summer-like for many areas. Out of the airport today, we bumped up to 16 as the high. Overnight tonight, though, we do have some fog developing. It is going to cool off down to 10 degrees. Tomorrow morning, it'll start to clear, especially as we get towards the noon hour, and 
then by the afternoon, highs by up to 18 degrees and away from the water will be up to 23 degrees. We've got a system that's still targeting the northern half of the province. The wind warnings have ended, but we are looking at the rainfall warning. Along the coast, still anywhere between 15 up to 70 millimetres by tomorrow morning. And inland areas, rather, could see up to 100 millimetres along the coast. So we are continuing to see that rainfall for the northern half of the province. And that is going to push in across the central interior. A quick look at what we did see early this morning, for example, Rose Spit with the gusts of over 100 kilometers per hour, Salander Island over 100, and for Prince Rupert this morning, getting up to a gust of 70 kilometers per hour. So still very blustery along the northern half of the province. The rain is going to ease off to showers, especially through the day, and then pushing in with some instability across the central interior. Most areas towards the south of it, though, will be benefiting from that ridge of high pressure that is building in place, sunshine, summer-like temperatures, and it looks like the peak of the temperatures when we put the upper-level chart into play will be Tuesday, Wednesday for most areas along the south coast, but still very pleasant leading in towards the end of the week. And the heat for the interior will continue all the way in towards Friday and potentially in towards next weekend. Here's a quick glance at the temperature trend so we can see one of the warmest days. These are numbers away from the water will be on Wednesday, 28 degrees. And for the interior, starting to ramp up, warming up for Thursday and still very hot and sunny for Friday, Saturday. The northern half of the province, so the rain is going to ease off by the morning and leading in towards the afternoon, but still very heavy at times and along the coast with still up to 100 millimeters. Now, the northeastern corners of the province could see a few isolated showers across the central interior tomorrow. There's rainfall and the winds are going to pick up gusts potentially up to 40 kilometers per hour now towards the south of it different weather story sunny dry temperatures do start to gradually warm up Kamloops tomorrow getting up to 24 degrees Whistler will see more of a clearing towards the afternoon the northern tip of Vancouver Island could still see a chance of showers and then most areas along the south coast it is heating up feeling more summer like just a few morning fog patches may see some cloud cover for the morning hours and then sunny dry over the next few days a fantastic long-range forecast sunny for the next five. Colleen? Lovely. Thanks so much, Yvonne. While BC has never had a lockdown, social and travel restrictions mean more of us are feeling lonely. But there appears to be a warm and fuzzy cure. Researchers in the UK surveyed 6,000 people during the spring and summer, and 90% of those with a pet said their animal helped them cope emotionally with the pandemic, and 96% said their pet kept them fit and active. And that emotional bond was not limited to cats and dogs. People with fish, guinea pigs, or any pet at all felt happier. Of course, of course, we're all reminded that a pet is a lifelong commitment and that we should only adopt a pet if we can care for them. But, oh, I don't have a pet, but I get to borrow my friend's pet. Oh, so that counts. It, you know, I get to pet the pet. Yeah, <laughs> get to pet the pet. You guys, you have pets? I'm thinking about getting a panda still, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I think There's that some was... issue with that. You're yeah. going to need a bigger apartment. <laughs> Barry, do you yeah. have a cat? I feel like you have cat. Yeah, you know what? Unfortunately, our kitty died very oh. suddenly last week. So oh, it's been a bit of a heavy time for us, but, you know, a lot of great Sorry. memories. But, yeah, yeah. All JJ, right. we miss him. No, let's move on to sports. Yeah, let's go a little happier. If you if you like uh, explosive offense and exciting finishes, the Seahawks are your team. They did it again today against Dallas. Just so fun to watch. We have lots of highlights of that one coming up in a third Sunday in the NFL. And uh, the baseball playoff uh, matchups are all set. So we'll tell you about that, too. All right. Thanks, Barry. 
guests at a Calgary hotel rocking out to a live concert, all from the safety of their balconies. The band, which you can't see, is performing on the roof of the local Ramada Hotel. For the Hotel Live concert series, there is a limit of four people per room, and guests can stay the night. Well, big crowds aren't allowed at major sporting events either. Today, the French Open tennis tournament got underway in Paris after a four-month delay due to the pandemic. As infections soar across France, top tennis stars will play in front of just 1,000 spectators a day. That's down from the usual 11,000. But even that was a last-minute decision. Well, it's a dreary, rainy start here to the French Open at Roland Garros Stadium here in western Paris. It wasn't supposed to be like this. This tournament was supposed to happen in late May and early June. And instead, the Roland Garros is having to unfold in its famous clay courts underneath rain and clouds. Usually in my season after the Open, but um, this time around, I'm here at Roland Garros. That's the only difference. It's, yeah, it's always cold for me. The weather is... Super extreme uh, to play a tournament. The ball is different. Yeah, it's, yeah the challenge is, uh, I think, bigger than, than ever. No? But that's how it is. Athletes aren't happy about it, and they also aren't happy about a lot of the restrictions that they've been facing because of COVID-19. All of this amidst a massive surge in new cases here in France and elsewhere throughout Europe that's been really concerning to authorities here. Now, there was a big question here in Paris about whether or not any spectators were going to be allowed to come and see this event. And we just heard on Thursday that authorities would allow this to go on with only a thousand spectators every day. So it's a somber and wet beginning to this historic tournament, but one that, despite the circumstances, has still been allowed to go on. Matt Bradley, NBC News, Paris. Okay, Barry, while you do sports, I'm going to go get some pie. That, that sounds good. Who doesn't love pie? Exactly. All right, thanks, Colleen. The uh, Seahawks proved again today against Dallas. Uh, they can outscore their problems on defense anytime. Russell Wilson threw for five touchdowns for the second consecutive game, which has never been done before by any Seahawks quarterback, as Seattle outgunned the Cowboys 38 38- 31. Can anyone stop Russell in the Seahawks offense? Apparently not. First quarter, not playing defense like this. The Cowboys blow the coverage. Tyler Lockett wide open. 43-yard touchdown from Wilson, his 10th TD pass of the season already. 7-3 Seahawks. Cowboys answered with their own TD, but then this bizarre play. Wilson airing it out again. DK Metcalf all alone but kind of starts hot-dogging before he crosses the goal line, and the ball is punched out by Trevon Diggs. It's a touchback. Dallas gets the ball. Bonehead play by Metcalf. It remains 9-9. Second quarter, Seahawks drive, helped by three Dallas secondary penalties. Wilson to Tyler Lockett from a yard out. 16-9 Seattle back in front. But the Seahawks defense has given up the most big plays in the league so far, and they gave up a few more today. Dak Prescott to Cedric Wilson, who does the rest, goes in for the touchdown, covers 40 yards. Cowboys miss the extra point, 16-15 Seattle. Then late in the half, after an interception, Wilson with another one-yard toss to Lockett, 23-15 Seahawks at the half. Early third quarter, Hawks defense coming up big. Jaron Reed will get Dak Prescott's arm. Benson Mayoa has the ball first and goal from the five. And two plays later, Wilson with yet another one-yard touchdown pass. This one to Jacob Hollister. 13th TD pass for Russell. Two and a half games into the season. But here comes Dallas. 
Dak Prescott to Cedric Wilson for his second TD of the game. That one goes 42 yards. It's 30-22. Fourth quarter, another big play. Prescott up top to Michael Gallup. 43 yards. Prescott with a career-high 472 yards passing and three long TDs. Cowboys took the lead with a field goal, but Seahawks get it back. They converted a fourth down, and then Wilson to DK Metcalf in the end zone. 29-yard touchdown. TD pass number five on the day, 14th on the season for Russell. NFL record for fastest 14 TDs at the start of a season. Cowboys still have time, but Prescott's pass in the end zone picked off by Ryan Neal. Seahawks defense coming up big like they did uh, last week against New England. 38-31, Seattle 3-0, first place in the NFC West. Meanwhile, a wild game in Buffalo as well between the Bills and Rams. Third quarter, Josh Allen, the Buffalo quarterback, finds Stephon Diggs. Bills crushing the Rams at this point. 28-3, but L.A. will mount a furious comeback. Jared Goff to Cooper Cup for the touchdown. They scored 29 straight points, and L.A. led 32-28 with under five minutes to go. But the Bills get the ball back, and with just 15 seconds left, Allen with his fourth touchdown pass of the game to Tyler Croft, and the Bills go to 3-0, beating the Rams 35-32. L.A drops to 2-1. and one. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool and the Steelers hosting the Texans. Fourth quarter, Steelers will take the lead in this ball game. James Conner is going to take it 12 yards for the touchdown, and Pittsburgh had the lead 28-21. Now late, Roethlisberger on third down will find Claypool, breaks a tackle. It's his only catch of the game, but it's a big one. Now he fumbles out of bounds at the two, but that still sealed the deal as the Steelers run out the clock. 28-21 the final as the Steelers go to 3-0. French Open began today in Paris. Eugenie Bouchard getting a wild card entry after her recent success of making it to the final in Istanbul. Bouchard playing her best tennis in years. Great drop shot here against young Russian Anna Kalinskaya. Bouchard took the opening set 6-4. Both players had problems holding serve. Jeannie was broken four times, but she broke Kalinskaya six times. Thanks to the big backhand winner like that one. Bouchard made big changes during the COVID shutdown, diet and workout regimens, and it's paid off as she advances to the second round of the French Open 6-4. 6-4. Felix Auger-Aliassime plays his first match tomorrow, while Vashik Pospisil and Denis Shapovalov get started on Tuesday. Final round of the Corrales Punta Cana Championship from the picturesque Dominican Republic. Canada's Mackenzie Hughes in the hunt. Long birdie putt. Look at that backdrop. Looks fake. Beautiful putt there to get to 17 under. Two shots off the lead. 14th. Hughes with a short birdie putt would be tied for the lead late in the round, but then bogeyed the 18th. He finished in third. It was Hudson Swafford who won it. A clutch par putt on 18 here. And he'll knock it in for the win as he edges Tyler McCumber by one shot. So Hudson Swafford is the champion in Punta Cana. Hughes won uh, 276000 for that third place finish. All right, baseball today. Jays' final regular season game taken on the Orioles. Pick it up in the third. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. with a two-run shot to left. Toronto led 4-1. to 
but Baltimore roared back. They scored three in the fourth and three more in the fifth to beat the Jays 7-5. Had Toronto won, they would have been the fifth seed and would have played the White Sox in the first round of the playoffs. Now they have to beat the top-seeded Tampa Rays. That best-of-three series starts Tuesday in Tampa. Well, all good things must come to an end. And for powerhouse Bayern Munich, there's uh, their 23-game win streak and 32-game unbeaten streak came to a crashing end today as they were soundly thumped 4-1 by Hoffenheim in Bundesliga action. It's their first loss since last December. They've won four trophies since then, including the European Champions League title. Kevin De Bruyne and Manchester City at home to Leicester City. Jamie Vardy had quite the day, scored three goals, two from the penalty spot, and that beauty right there as Leicester City pulled away from uh, Manchester City. Leicester also got this spectacular goal from James Madison. Check out that thumper. Leicester City routes Man City 5-2. The Foxes, perfect 3-0 to start the season. Russian Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton, one win away from matching Michael Schumacher's all-time record of 91 Formula One wins. Didn't get it, though. Pair of wrecks off the opening lap as a Canadian Lance Stroll crashing out of the race goes hard into the wall. As for Lewis Hamilton, a couple of five-second penalties left him in third place. Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas takes the win. Max Verstappen was second. And NBA playoffs, game six, Heat and Celtics. Miami can advance to the finals against the Lakers with a win. Bam Adebayo, a menace on the inside, slamming it home for the Heat. Bam with 16 first-half points. Miami with a slim 62-60 lead at the break. Marcus Smart, so good defensively with the steal and the dunk. It is tight in the fourth quarter. Miami by one. And we'll have complete highlights of that one tonight at 11. And the Whitecaps are in action tonight against Portland. We'll have highlights of that one as well tonight. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks, Barry. Okay. As Global BC celebrates 60 years on the air, we found something in the archives that might make you laugh. I know it made some of us laugh. These days, we have Craigslist to buy and sell items. But in the 1960s, the Internet had not been invented. I know that's hard to believe. So television was where we sold household items that could be bought for or traded. In fact, there was an entire show devoted to just that. Trading Post with host Ron Morier took live phone calls and the only rules were no trading clothing, automobiles or accommodations. So you got a purebred chihuahua. All right. Ten months old, black and tan. Ten months old, black and tan. House broken. House broken? $35. What's house broken? Your husband or the dog? Both of them. Both of them. All right. Three Polynesian tickies I'd like to sell. Polynesian kitties? Tickies. Pussycats. No, T-I-K-I-S. T-I-K-I-S. Three of them, eh? Yes. Oh, that's Polynesian tickies. Yes. What do you use them for? Putting on the wall or something? Uh, for interior decorating. We have them in our living room. Oh, that's kind of a good idea. So good. Who didn't have Ron's Polynesian a bit of a wisecracker. I like yeah. that. Wow. The, I would like to buy his jacket. I yes. Quality programming. Quality. <laughs> Last quick word on the weather. Warming up. We've got plenty of sunshine. It's going to feel more summer-like as we get in towards the week. Yay. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Take care. Look at that shot. That's it.